good to be together. Luke chapter 5, we're moving through. Uh, Luke, we took a break last week. We had a sermon um, on marriage, and we're back in Luke. We're going through Luke. It's going to take us uh, many months. We're cruising slow and steady. We get to some miracle passages this morning, um, a lot to get through. Um, so we're just going to jump right in. Verse 12 says, while he was in one of the cities, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The passage begins with a man who has leprosy. Leprosy was a horrific skin disease. It would attack the nervous system. It would make it so that your, your whole body was numb. And there's a slow, painful death if you had leprosy. It would take often up to 20 or 30 years for you to slowly die. It, um, it was called death by inches, or others would call it a living death. The Jewish law had strict rules for how to deal with leprosy. It was extremely contagious, and so if you had leprosy, you were not allowed in the cities, and you had to warn people crying out, unclean, if anyone was near you. We get some insight from this in Leviticus chapter 13. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So you can imagine the, the loneliness of having a disease like this. Most of us in this room, if, if we were afflicted with some sort of extreme physical pain and suffering, that would be a time that friends and family would draw near to us in checking in on us and, and calling and surrounding you physically in the midst of that suffering. We understand that when someone's physical circumstances go way down, that their emotional and their relational support should go way up. This is just compassion. It's a gift of God for us, right? But leprosy has this horrific isolation that in the midst of suffering, you, you hit rock bottom physically and then you hit rock bottom relationally, emotionally, fully isolated. And so even outside the gates, a person with leprosy could not just approach someone like this. Even outside of the towns, you couldn't just approach someone like this. But he moves toward Jesus, it says, and he's doing this in faith, and he's taking a huge risk. Look at verse 13. It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. It says, Jesus reached out and touches the man, and immediately it says, he was healed. It's fascinating for us because just 10 verses later, Jesus is going to heal a paralyzed man with just the words of his mouth. And two chapters later, Jesus will heal the centurion's servant without even traveling to see him at all. The Gospel of John recounts several other healings where Jesus heals someone and he's not even in the presence of that person. And just in case we forgot about this one, there's another miracle in the Bible where Jesus 
doesn't bother to use his hands. It's on page one. And Jesus is there in the beginning, speaking the universe into existence. He's capable of doing many things without the use of his hands, far more than us, do we agree? But here in Luke chapter 5, a man with leprosy, the one thing you don't touch, a man who must stay away, a man who had likely not felt the touch of another human in years, possibly decades, and Jesus decides, I will heal this man by reaching out and touching him, the one you cannot touch. We have some insight into this. This story is covered in three different gospel accounts. Mark's gospel tells us in chapter one some insight into the heart of Jesus. It says he was moved with pity, and he stretched out his hand and he touched him. You could translate this here as Jesus was filled with compassion. It was not necessary for Jesus to touch the man in order to heal him. It was not necessary for him to go near to him at all. And the fact that it was not necessary shows us that this is not just a story about a skin disease or a healing. It shows us so clearly what we see in the miracles of Jesus. This is a story about the character of God. It's a story about the person of God. In all of the miracles of Jesus, he's showing us who he is. He's showing us what he cares about. And we see the great compassion that he has for a hopeless humanity. I was thinking this week even just the mission of God is clear and did not demand any miracles. He goes straight to the cross. But over and over, filled with compassion, he stops and he heals. People who will be healed one day and dead another day and yet he heals them. He takes away their pain, even if it's just for a season. So what happens next? Look at verse 15. It says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We see in Mark's gospel, the parallel account, that that after this particular miracle, Jesus couldn't really enter the cities and towns because the crowds were growing so large. And so he stayed away, but the crowds would find him. So Jesus is healing many, many people, and word is spreading and crowds are gathering. He's not trying to create a circus. He's not trying to put on a show. But we can't take verse 16 as only being linked to verse 15. Jesus did not withdraw only because the crowds were large. He did not draw the way that many of us introverts do because we're tired of people. <laughs> he did not draw the way that I chose to watch the Super Bowl, which was, no thank you, I will be at my house by myself. <laughs> he didn't withdraw because he needed a self-care day, right? pastor walks up on stage and says, Luke chapter 5 is about treating yourself right, you know, take some time off, go for a walk on the beach, turn your phone off, and then turn your phone back on, take a picture of yourself on the beach, let people know, <laughs> let people know that you are taking a break from your phone. <laughs> Not a whole day, maybe like business hours. 
I will be off my phone from 9 to 4. That's just simply not what the passage says. He's not running from the crowds. He's not running from the stress. He's running towards prayer. He wants to pray. He prays because he wants to pray. He doesn't just want peace and quiet. We see this beautiful picture of rest and prayer, and in it we see the humanity of Jesus because he really is human, yes? When I put my little kids to bed after the whole bedtime routine is over. It's a three, four hour routine, of course, standard. I'm about to turn the lights off and kids learn the trick of asking questions to delay bedtime, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And right as you're about to hit the light switch, you hear, uh, dad, right? It's like, wow, suddenly we are just full of questions about life and death and science and history. <laughs> All of your curiosity is bottled up until my finger is on the light switch. And so you just start knocking them out, out of the park. Every question, you're ready. I'm getting this kid to bed. Dad, are you going to live a long time? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Dad, will we ever have a tornado here? No. We, have, we pay extra to not have tornadoes. Yeah. Dad, where do the birds sleep at night? Nobody knows that. We can't trust the birds. You, this is why. And lastly, Dad, does God go to sleep at night? So you pause for a second and you think, what a beautiful question from the heart of a child. And you say, Yes, of course God sleeps at night. He's waiting for you to go to sleep. <clears throat> and you are keeping him up, and he is not happy. <laughs> the answer to that question, of course, is no. God does not sleep. There's no need for God to sleep. Also, what time zone would he choose, right? It's all very silly. But Jesus, Jesus would sleep. Because Jesus took on flesh, the Bible is clear. He entered into human form. He entered into human capacity and weakness. We don't see Jesus doing miracles for himself to escape the toils of life as a human. When Jesus and his disciples are tired and they're going to take a nap on some rocks, Jesus is not like, enjoy your rock nap. You know, boys, I'll be over here on this rock. Whoopsie, looks like my rock just turned into a... Tempurpedic cloud deluxe, you know. <laughs> Jesus lived a human life. He experienced the details of human life. And so he went to sleep not to pretend that he was human. He went to sleep because he was tired. He ate food not to pretend that he was hungry. I'm just like you guys. He was hungry. And he would continually withdraw to be alone and quiet in prayer with God the Father, not to pretend to be spiritual or to just set a good example for us, but because the triune relationship of God is the deepest, most intimate relationship in all the universe upon which we can only look to reflect in our own lives and relationships. The desire of his heart is to pray before the Father. It's rest for him. It is peace for him. It's comfort for him in the midst of a world of chaos. Does that make sense? Amen. Amen.
times I try to make slides with really well-crafted statements, and they have a lot of words. Sometimes we just got to get hit, hit in the face with something simple. So this is one for you this morning. If Jesus needed to pray, then I really need to pray. Luke 5 is like a little gut punch to every excuse I could make to why I don't need to pray. I could just keep trying harder, you know? I could just keep going about things. I don't need to bring this to God. Jesus sets the example. He withdraws, he prays, continually recharged in the presence of God. Let's keep going. We see our second miracle this morning, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. Mark's gospel gives us a little bit more detail. It says there were four friends helping to bring this man to Jesus, but it's so crowded, there's no way to get in. But they know this could be their only shot to heal their friend, so they just bust open the roof and drop him in like a claw machine. <laughs> I'm not a first century roof expert, but I could imagine this would trigger some sort of insurance claim, right? <clears throat> had a lot of Sundays where it's hard to find a seat in here, and we would just say, please don't, you know, take our roof down. The translation, you could literally translate it that they unroofed the roof. That sounds expensive. <laughs> please leave our roof intact. We will make room. What do we see? Is Jesus mad about this? No. In fact, it doesn't even mention that he heals the roof, <laughs> which is kind of funny. What do we see? Verse 20. He says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. First and foremost, your sins are forgiven you. He sees this when he saw their faith. And the scribes and Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. So before he heals the man's body, he just says, your sins are forgiven. He looks into his heart. He sees his faith. He declares, you are forgiven. And the religious leaders are not happy about this. Only God, for, only God can forgive sin. And Jesus is like, I, I know. No, I know. The religious leaders, as we see throughout the New Testament, they've grown to love their status as protectors of God. But along the way, they stopped just loving God himself. They took pride in knowledge about God. They took pride in being authorities on God. And they took pride in dropping the hammer on anybody who violates the law of God. But now here's God standing right in front of him and they don't recognize him at all. And maybe you could argue, I mean, I mean, let's be fair. I mean, they didn't expect him to look like this. They didn't expect him to look like a normal, humble dude. That's fair, but I think more importantly, they didn't expect him to not be like them, right? 
see all throughout, you know, Romans chapter 1. We're so prone to make God in our image, right? That we think God is going to look exactly like we think God should look. We carve God out to be what we think is right. The religious leaders would seek the death penalty for anyone who carved an idol out of wood or stone to worship, and yet they carved their own idols in their hearts of what God should be. They struggle just like we all do. We're not whittling gods out of wood. We're not melting down our jewelry to make idols for our home. But we're carving out and shaping what we think God's character should be like in our hearts. We're carving out how we think God should act in every situation. Making God how we think he should be. And in our arrogance, we say in our hearts, this is what God should be like. And if that is the case, I can worship that God. But I'm not sure I can worship this God, the God who, who loves my enemies or the God who eats with sinners, as we see, upsets them so much, or the God who doesn't do what I want him to do. How does Jesus respond to this? Look at our next verse, verse 22. It says, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. Scripture tells us that Jesus didn't overhear the religious leaders talking. It says he knew what was in their hearts, or as Mark's gospel says, he perceived in his spirit of their thoughts. They believed he was committing blasphemy by declaring that he had the authority to forgive sins. And so Jesus responds by declaring his authority and showing his authority through physical healing. And he says what in verse 24? He says, so that you may know. A physical miracle that points to the reality that you're standing face to face with God. Right? How could Jesus have the authority to forgive sin? Because he came to earth to die for sin. He was on the way to the cross, but filled with compassion, he heals all along the way, pointing to who he is. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher or a guy who had power to do miracles, and his mission was not just to get people out of difficult circumstances. This is clear because all of the people who Jesus would heal, they would eventually go on to die, just like all of us will, you and me. But Jesus comes to defeat sin and to die in our place so that whatever our circumstances in life, Whatever you face, whatever you suffer through in this life, you will have eternal life in heaven with God. You can escape the punishment we deserve for our sin. That's a good story. That's the best story. And so we get to our last verse, verse 26. It says, And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and they were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And so one faithful man and his faithful friends, 
They approach Jesus in desperation. And in the end, the whole crowd is left in awe and wonder. And they walk out, and these people are worshiping God. I think we should say this, that if we're followers of Jesus, we should expect to see extraordinary things as we follow him in faith. Amen? As we are prayerful people, as we are led by the Spirit, you say, but David, it feels like the world is getting more hostile to the things of God. It feels like people are abandoning the faith and doors of churches are closing and people are not interested in God. Things are getting worse. That might be true. And things might stack up against us. And yet we will see extraordinary things of God in our lives as we draw near to him, as we trust him in faith. Do you believe that? Yeah. I want to finish our time with some reflections on these couple miracle stories. Let's just go through some of these. And first thing I think we see is whatever healing you need in your life, why run from Jesus if he isn't running from you? Right? Whatever impossible situations that we can face Jesus wants to be close to you, not far from you. We see the faith of the man with leprosy. He, he draws toward Jesus in faith, and Jesus reaches out and touches him and heals him. The friends bring their friend to Jesus, doing whatever it takes, and Jesus honors their faith and heals them. If you need healing in your life, why run from him when you can run toward him? Second thing I think we see, Whatever healing you need in your life, God honors a posture of desperation. I think both of these stories of miraculous healings that we see this morning, they reflect people who had hearts of urgency. So I got, I got to get to Jesus. I have to bring this to Jesus. In particular, both of these stories, they're saying, this might be my only chance. I have no hope apart from Jesus with what I'm facing. Look again at the first healing. Chapter 5, verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. There's humble desperation before God. He falls on his face and he begs Jesus. You can translate, you look at the Greek, you see words that we would use to describe urgent prayers. There's no pride here. He's just filled with hope and faith and desperation. I could live another 20 years suffering with leprosy, but Jesus, you could heal me today. God honors humble prayers of desperation. And God honors a heart that declares, you are my only hope for this. It's either you or it's 20 more years of this. Third thing, God honors the faithful intercession of friends. It's really clear that the right answer for all of the hardest things that we face is to run towards Jesus with a posture 
of desperation. I think the next question then for us is, will we also do this for our friends and their needs? Are you a friend who is urgently seeking God for the things that your friends need? This last summer, uh, we were in Yosemite and we did a hike and everybody's got to figure out your hike. And, you know, the hike is a reflection of your physical, um, you know, like, like you're like, oh, I'm doing the nine mile hike. It's like, cool, I'm sleeping. And then I'm doing the two mile hike, you know. Everybody scatters different hikes. Great place, lots of options. We're doing a five mile hike. We were with a bunch of friends and we got to the top of the mountain. We were coming back down and some of you guys know our dear friend, Lori Hilbrand. If you're new to the church, she was probably the first person that ever said hi to you. And she had rolled her ankle and of course, you know, she's so awesome that she was like, ah, it's nothing, but turns out it was broken. <laughs> and and she could not walk, and there was two more miles to go down this, this mountain. And, and so Jeff, her husband, was helping her on one side, and she needed someone else to help her on the other side. And so Chris Kurth walked down the mountain with her for two miles. And Lori's the friendliest person at Village Church. So if you're going to walk two miles with Lori... By the time you get to the bottom, she's going to know everything about you, and you're going to be her best friend. <clears throat> I was thinking about this picture this week. I think what's so beautiful about it is that, first of all, we treat others how we want to be treated, right? I mean, you do what you would want someone to do for you. That's simple. But I think the other picture is, like, how easy is it to be like, well, I'm not the one that rolled my ankle today, <laughs> Sorry, I have great ankles. <laughs> My shoes are high quality. You might be the one today who could run full speed down the mountain. And the question is, will you be the one who slows down and walks shoulder to shoulder with someone today anyway? Does that make sense? Knowing in humility that there could be another day, another season of life where that is you who needs to be walked down the mountain. That is you who cannot run, but needs to be helped. Our flesh is always whispering to us, I'm doing pretty good right now. I'm going at my own pace. I don't need to slow down for the weakest link. I don't need to invite friends into my living room to hear them pouring out their struggles. Our flesh is trying to tell us, you don't need to spend a bunch of time praying going to a prayer meeting, your life is good. When something falls apart and you need to put the pieces back together, that's prayer time. You activate prayer. You know? I was thinking about this this week and threw it up on a slide for you. Everybody wants to wake up in the morning and know that they have friends who would unroof a roof for them. Very few people want to wake up early in the morning get down on their knees and lower their friends before the Lord in prayer, right? Friendship is 
messy. Friendship takes work. It takes time. Biblical friendship takes pleading with God in prayer. It takes prayers of compassion, intercession. How many mornings am I waking up early to go before God, bring my friends before God in prayer who are struggling? We gotta unroof some roofs, right, Village Church? Yeah? Yeah. You say, David, I get it. But so often I just feel like I can't make my situation better. I can't make other people's situations better. And that's true. What we see clearly, though, is that you can put yourself at the feet of Jesus with a heart of faith, right? The man with leprosy could not make his situation better, no matter how hard he tried. But what he could do is he could put himself at the feet of Jesus with a heart of faith. And that is more than enough, we see clearly in Scripture, right? That's more than enough for Jesus. The men who have a friend who is helpless, they cannot help him but they can get him to the feet of Jesus with a heart of faith. I hope we understand this. You cannot control every outcome of your life, but you can put yourself at the feet of Jesus with a heart of faith, and that is more than enough. Amen, Village Church? Yes. And if you're a friend and you feel hopeless or worthless because you cannot fix someone's circumstances, you should be encouraged You just bring those things to the feet of Jesus and your job is done, right? And then the owner of the house takes you around back and he beats you up for destroying his roof. (laughs) And you just take every punch with a smile, knowing, hey, I brought my friend to Jesus, right? That's pretty cool. We got a room of 200 people this morning. Some of you need healing from your sins. Some of you need healing in your marriage. Some of you need healing in a relationship or in your physical body. Some of you need healing from depression or fear or hopelessness. I'm just reminded that Hebrews says that the God that we find in Luke chapter 5 is the God that we have access to as his people. God is not in a crowded house. You don't have to cut through a roof. He sits on the throne, and what does Hebrews say? He says you can approach that throne with boldness in prayer. Yes? Yeah. Verse 25, immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on, and he went home glorifying God. This guy walks in laying on a mat, and he walks out carrying a mat. Whatever you need healing for in your life, it starts with believing that God can do that for you, right? Jesus has the power to send you out of this situation carrying the mat that you were laying on. And so, Village Church, if there's something that you face today that feels hopeless, you gotta believe that God has the power to write the next chapter of that story. It might be that that next chapter is you struggling through the fire. Or it might be that you're walking out of this, carrying your mat as a testimony of the character of God and the compassion of God. We have good news this morning. Miracles of Jesus show us a God who knows our hearts and he's worthy of all of our hope. 
seeing so clearly that God is moving through our church in prayer. Just continually hearing from you the ways that God is moving and we're just encouraged by it. God knows our hearts. He's worthy of our hope. You can hope in him. Lastly, I just want to say what, just asking the question this week of myself, like what is going to stop you from seeking God and healing the most hopeless, desperate, urgent things in your life? If you're in the reading plant this week, we're in Exodus. The story of Exodus is incredible. God leads his people out of slavery. He leads them across the dry sea. They watch God destroy their enemies. They follow God in a pillar of fire and and a pillar of a cloud. The presence of God with them. They were fed food from heaven. The rocks are broken to pour out water for them in the desert. And yet, every time something would get difficult, they would begin to grumble. <laughs> sounds, like, sounds like myself in my life, you know? We get to Exodus chapter 32, and maybe you read it this week. Moses is up on Mount Sinai. He's meeting with God to receive the law. They begin to panic when he doesn't return for 40 days, and this is what we see in Exodus 32. It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in your ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And so when the people saw that God delayed They said, we need idols who will go before us. That is to say, we need something to put our hope in to lead us out of this circumstance because God's plans have left us stuck here and things are not moving forward as we expected. And so everyone gather up your silver and your gold and we will make something that we can put our trust in. We will build it ourselves. Meanwhile, God is up on that mountain in the very moment. He's carving into the stone tablets, entering into a covenant promise to be their God. And this is what they do in that moment. They give up on him. So question for us. We might believe that God can do miracles, but can we hope in him day after day, even when things don't seem to change? It's a question for us. Exodus 32 shows us that the people of God can be overwhelmed by miracles of God through seasons of life, and then it only took 40 days of uncertainty to throw in the towel on God. It only took 40 days of uncertainty and worrying about the future to just throw in the towel on God. Their hope was not grounded in God. 
Their hope was left to float around, and that will never work. If your hope is floating around looking for somewhere to land, it will find somewhere to land. If your hope is not in God, it will find somewhere to land. Your hope will land on money and career. It will land on yourself and your wisdom. It will land on your ability to orchestrate the future. Village Church, have hope in God. Have faith in God. Have faith today. And when you wake up tomorrow and things are still difficult, just have faith again. Amen. What an encouraging passage for us. Can you pray with me? God, we just look at these stories and it's hard to even imagine what it would be like to see a miracle like that. we just declare that you are the same God who does these things, that the the God that we speak to, that we draw near to in prayer is the God who can heal, the God who saves us. I'm going to give you a minute to think about the things in your life that you just feel desperate for healing. Think about some things maybe in your friend's life that you desperate for them to bring these things at the feet of Jesus. I want to give you a minute to bring these things to the feet of Jesus. Whatever you feel needs healing in your life, I'm going to give you a minute to pray and bring that to Jesus now. you see all these things. Nothing is a surprise to you. Nothing is overwhelming to you. And so God, we just lay all these things at your feet. We put our hope in you, God. We will not let our hope float. Looking for something we can trust in, God, we've found the thing. We've found the one to trust in not looking for anything else. And so we bring all these things to you. We worship you as you deserve. Amen.